I want to especially welcome you if this is your first time in the church, if you're new to this whole thing. I think you're very brave turning up to a new place, and uh, thank you for doing that. I know that many people kind of view Christianity in our culture today as, as a bit weird. I think Dave Martin uh, referred to that as anxiety. If he turned up to Scripture Union, that people would think he was weird. I found it kind of amusing uh, on Friday to see a little video uh, on the Guardian website of Milton Jones, who's a sort of a stand-up comic. And uh, Milton Jones, whose kind of uh, comic shtick is about being a guy who's a bit weird when he gets up on the, uh, on, on the stage, uh, he, he, uh, he did a video on, is Christianity a bit weird? And part of what he said was this, um, apart from being involved at the beginning of science, systems of government, philosophy, art, schools, hospitals, the emancipation of women, the abolition of slavery, social welfare, helping form the basis of the moral code most people live by, and introducing popular notions of justice, mercy, decency, and compassion. What has Christianity ever really done for the world? (laughs) Well, despite... All that Christianity has done for the world in our current culture is seen as a bit weird. But actually we've been learning as we've been looking through the book of First Peter over a number of weeks now that this uh, view that Christians are a bit weird is something that goes all the way back to the first century. There's something about uh, choosing to follow Christ, live for Christ, to read his word and want to obey it that makes you look a bit different, uh, a bit alien. And the Bible says that's because actually when you trust Christ, you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you are a bit alien. You are, you are living uh, 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 for a different country. And so that's something that we should expect. Now we're continuing in our look at 1 Peter today. I want you to open your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1,218 in the Red Church Bibles, page 1,218. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, just grab a red Bible, turn to page 1218. It'll really help you to have it right in front of you because we're going to spend the next 10, 15 minutes just seeing what this has to say. Going to think about two questions today. What is a Christian and does it make a difference? What is a Christian... And does it make a difference? I wonder what your answer would be before we kind of see what the Bible has to say. What do you think a Christian is? Does it make a difference? Well, let's see what God's word has to say. And if you look at the left-hand column and the little number 22 at the beginning of the sentence in the second paragraph on the left-hand side, that's verse 22. I'm going to read uh, from there. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Keep your Bibles open and let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we know that uh, your word is powerful, living and enduring. 
And we thank you that as we look at this book, that it was written a long time ago, yet by your spirit, it is still alive today. And we ask that you would speak to each one of us. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, what is a Christian? What you should know is that the person who wrote this letter is Peter, one of the original disciples of Jesus. Uh, So here we have an authoritative guide about what it means to be a Christian. Here's someone who was the first follower, disciple of Jesus, saw him in the flesh. Did you notice how um, the way that he described what had happened to the people that he'd written to? In verse 22, he describes what they had done. And in verse 23, he describes what God had done. Do you see that? So what was their action in becoming Christians? Well, verse 22 says they obeyed the truth. And what was God's action in them becoming Christians? Well, verse 23 says that God caused them to be born again. And these two activities happen at the same time. For everyone who becomes a Christian, whether that's the first century or the 21st century. And it is true for each of the people who uh, is getting baptized today. Notice with me that to become a Christian involves a decision. Verse 22, it is a decision to obey the truth. And it also involves a miracle. Verse 23, God makes you born again. And what is the thing that ties those two things together? Did you notice? Have a look. What ties those two things together? What is it? Well, do you notice? Um, It's the Word of God. See, what is the truth that uh, they, it is mentioned in verse 22 that they obeyed? Well, I take it, it is exactly the same thing as described in verse 23 as the living and enduring Word of God. And it's called living and enduring because it is the very thing that God uses to make us born Again, it's the agent, it's the instrument that he uses to bring about this new birth. And it is the same thing as described in verse 25 at the end there. It says, and this is the word that was preached to you. And that phrase preached, actually in the original language, is, is this idea of the good news proclaimed. So this was the word of good news that was preached to them. And what we've seen over the last few weeks is what this good news is. And so you're coming in in the middle of a series, so I want to help you out if this is your first time here. What is this good news that was preached to them? Well, it's about how God has actually come to rescue us from our sins. Uh, The problem with our unforgiven sins is that uh, they they not just do damage and harm to other people, but they actually uh, put us out of relationship with a God who is holy and we face his eternal judgment for our sins and our rebellion against him. But because of his great mercy, God has sent a rescuer, a redeemer, Jesus, who um, sacrificed himself, who suffered and died on the cross so that 
he would be punished in our place. Now, don't just take my word for it. Let's, let me show you from the Bible that it's here. Have a look uh, at chapter 2 and verse 24. If you look at the right-hand column, on page 1,219, if they're crying, they're breathing. I never worry when they're crying. It's when they stop crying you worry, isn't it? But look across to chapter 2, verse 24, page 1,219. Look across at this little, little one summary of this good news that was preached to them. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And that's referring to Jesus' execution by crucifixion. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's the good news that was preached to them. Or look across at uh, chapter 3, verse 18. To the right-hand column on the same page, look at verse 18. Right-hand column, for Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous, he who was right before God, for the unrighteous, people like us who are not right with God. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Well, there's the good news that was preached to them in a, in a, in a nutshell. So putting that all together, well, what happened? What were the events that led to them becoming Christians? What are the events that lead to someone becoming Christian today? Well, someone tells you this, this good news about Jesus. Maybe you hear it preached at church. Maybe you read it in the Bible. Maybe you read it in a book that tells you about the good news. Or maybe a friend shares it with you. And what happens when you hear that good news? Well, to become a Christian, two things happen at the same time. Do you remember? On the human side, we need to obey God's truth, which means that we, we believe what it says. We, we begin the Christian life of, of believing what it says and putting our trust in Jesus to forgive our sins. And, and are committing to know the words and obey the truth. Follow Christ the rest of our lives. That's what happens on the human side. And amazingly, simultaneously... On the divine side, um, God gives us spiritual new birth. Some people say, well, look, I could never be a Christian. I could never live it out. And the point is, yes, you couldn't as a non-Christian. But actually, when you receive this miracle of new birth, there is a, a brand new life that starts within you. And this new life is what enables you to live the Christian life. God comes in by his Holy Spirit. He applies the work of, of Jesus and his death upon the cross to individual lives. And we heard seven stories today, didn't we, of different people who at different stages realized that actually they were a sinner. They agreed with what the Bible had to say. They realized it was a real problem. They had offended a holy God. Now why? Why did they suddenly realize that? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in and brings conviction. It helps people understand that it is the truth. And then they see how wonderful it is that, that Christ died for them. They paid the price for their sins. And they obey the truth by believing the Lord Jesus, receiving his forgiveness, and commit to following him. Imperfectly, yes, but trusting in his ongoing uh, forgiveness to walk the Christian life. That's what it is to be a Christian. So what is a Christian? Well, a Christian is someone who's decided to obey the truth of the gospel as they become born again through the gospel. 
Now secondly, does it make a difference? That's a relevant question, isn't it? Does it make a difference? Well, I hope you've begun to see that it makes a huge difference. But verse 22 gives us one of the great evidences that somebody really is a genuine born-again Christian. Can you see it in verse 22? What is, the, what is one of the great evidences that someone is really born again? What is it? Love. Do you see that? Um, Born-again people love. Look at it again, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Uh, you know the city of Philadelphia? Do you know what Philadelphia means? It's actually from the Greek word that's in this very text, and it means brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And uh, one of the things that happens when someone is born again, that they enter into God's family, they suddenly find that there is a new affection, a new love, a new care, and a new concern for God's family. There is a genuine brotherly, sisterly love. And, uh, you know, one of the signs you're not born again is that, uh, is that actually, to be honest, church is very dull and boring. Why would you go? I don't understand why a non-Christian would go to church, to be quite honest. It would be very dull uh, for a non-Christian. The whole idea seems very bizarre and weird. Uh, and, and, and when you're not a Christian, the Bible seems irrelevant. Christianity is insignificant. But you know, one of the great marks of what happens when someone is born again, as we saw last week, is that they have a new hunger for God's word. They crave the pure spiritual milk, as we saw last week. They hunger for more of God. By digging into his words. You see, the, um, suddenly when you become born again, the Bible's not old and abstract. It's living. It's vital. It nourishes your soul. You hear it read, you hear it preached, and your soul is nourished. You think it was good to be here. That's a sign of a born again person, isn't it? And instead of having to be dragged to church, you look forward to meeting up with who? With your family. With your older brothers and sisters, younger brothers and sisters. People from different backgrounds and nationalities. There's, there's brothers and sisters who've come from all the nations of the world, practically here, it seems to me. And uh, of all different ages, stages, uh, different backgrounds, and yet we gather together and we're part of God's family. And do you know what? God can turn grumpy selfish, bitter, violent people and transform them to be people who love. Who actually want to obey this command to love one another deeply from the heart. Now, I'd be the first to admit that I fall short of this and I'm sure we all fall short of this in different ways. But what we do find in our heart is a desire to really to do this. To love God's people. To love God's family. To love those who we meet in the world. And to be that sort of person, you've got to follow what says in, in chapter 2, verse 1, of ridding yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Does it make a difference being a Christian? It makes a massive difference. Do you remember that quote from Milton Jones? You know, it's because people love that they, uh, and, they, and they work that out in the world. That Christianity has been involved in the world at the beginning of science, government, 
philosophy, art, schools, hospitals, the emancipation of women, the abolition of slavery, social welfare, helping form the basis of the moral code most people live by, introducing popular notions of justice, mercy, and decency, and compassion. Because born-again people love. And when you have people like that, it changes society. And it changes the world. Of course it makes a huge difference in this life, but there's even a bigger difference that it makes. Did you see the contrast in verses 23 and 24? Have a look at it again. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our first birth, our physical birth, is of perishable seed. And here's the fundamental problem for human beings, is that we all perish and die. Life is so fleeting, it is so transient. All men are like grass, the Bible says. You know, we're here one moment and we're wilted and fading the next. Yes, there, we, we have glory, but it's like the flowers of the field. It's there, and then come back next week, and it's all dead, and it's all gone. Now, do you know who this is? Let me show you a picture of someone. Do you know who this is? Next slide there. Do you know who this guy is? Hands up if you know who this guy is. None of you know who this guy is. This is incredible. This is George North. George North, the Welsh winger. At the age of 21, he has 31 caps for Wales. And he's played three games for the British Lions at the age of 21. And in the second test, this is a picture of the second test uh, against Australia, um, Israel Falau wouldn't let him have the ball. And George wasn't having it. So instead of that, he just picked up the man who had the ball and he ran with it. That's how immense... George North is. He's a great Welsh talent. He's now playing for Northampton because they paid him more money than in Wales. Now, let me show you another picture that's even more precious to uh, our family because the other man is even more beloved. It is uh, Peter Rees, who is my uncle. He also played in exactly the same position as George North as a Welsh international player in 1946 and 47. He is the oldest living uh, Welsh international player at the moment. He once had the glory of playing for Wales. He's done a lot for rugby at Tenethi. He was the chairman of the Scarlets Club. But up to now, none of you have heard of him. There was a stage when he was a young man full of life, just like George North. And you know what? In 60 years... I mean, right now, most of you didn't know who George North was. He's one of the most outstanding talents in the Welsh team next to Sam Warburton. Well, I could keep listing them anyway. Lee Halfpenny as well. But in 60 years, you will not, you, you, just like Uncle Pete, you won't have heard of him. And he too will wither and die. This is our problem, isn't it? All our glories are like the flowers of field. They, they, they mean something and then they fade so quickly. This is our problem, that we perish. And if we die and face God with our sins unforgiven, then all the glories of this life, all the achievements, all the rewards, um, all the rewards 
And praise will mean absolutely nothing before a holy God, right? But to be born again of imperishable seed means that actually we receive God's gift of eternal life. All people who believe and obey the truth about the good news about Jesus. And even though we may die, we can look forward expectantly with the same hope that we will save the same bodily resurrection as Jesus Christ himself. That we'll enter and welcome, be welcomed into his everlasting kingdom. You see, this is what Peter is telling us. That by trusting the living and enduring word of God that stands forever, we too will live and endure and stand forever as part of God's family. I saw a t-shirt once that had this slogan. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Scribble that down and have a think about it. See, as we witness those getting baptized today, we're seeing people who have experienced being born twice. Yes, they were born physically, but they've been born spiritually. That even though they might die physically, they will live eternally. It is so encouraging to know that actually God is at work in our salvation. And he will keep us. Jesus once spoke to a very religious man and said to him this, You must be born again. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. And see, the point is, it's not about being religious, is it? It's about being made new. And now you have heard the good news about Jesus. What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this great hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We want to thank you for your word, which is living and enduring. Lord, when, it passes, when we pass away, your word will stand on forever, for you are the everlasting God. Father, help us not to run away from you, but to run to you and find in Christ our Lord and Savior that we too, all of us, may be welcomed into your eternal home as your children. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.